So why is it that the United States is always so concerned when a country like North Korea test fires a missile? I'm Mr. Batane. I'm Mr. Stewart. And I'm Mr. Snyder. And this is To Answer Your Question, a podcast all about history. So before we actually get into the specific question, there's got to be some background that we have to fill in here. And, and this goes all the way back to the end of World War II. North Korea didn't exist before World War II. As the war was ending in Europe and as it was ending in the Pacific, we had a fear, and the fear turned out to be correct, that wherever the Soviet Union landed, they were going to want a piece of that land. And we saw it happen in Germany. Germany was divided, and the Soviets got essentially half of it. And unfortunately, that's what happened in Korea, too. Japanese had the Korean Peninsula in like, When the war ended, Japan lost it. Korea was divided at the 38th parallel. So now you have a situation where the North is communist, under the control of the Soviets, and the South is going to be a democracy split up amongst the Allies. And so that's kind of the scenario that played out at the end of World War II that created North and South Korea. Yeah, and after, you know, Japan leaves because they surrender World War II, they're out of Japan. You really have, like you said, the two Koreas, and they're very different in political ideologies as well. I mean, you have a communist dictator, Kim Il-sung, controlling North Koreans, and you have a more pro-democracy, but still a little bit of a dictator, Syngman Rae, who is control of South Korea. And the interesting thing about that setup is, it's, you, know, you think of the Koreas today, and the South is wealthy and prosperous, and the North is dirt poor. And it was the exact opposite. The North was the one that had the big cities in the industry, and the South was agricultural. So at, at that time, the dynamics of the Koreas were completely different than they are today. Yeah, and I guess the big question then is like, well, then what happened? How come they're so different today? when really before this time there was just one Korea. So what happened? Yeah, the Koreans are uh, very proud people and actually quite often are like striving for unification because they, be, they both speak the same language. They uh, have the same history. So they quite often want to be together, but they're like you guys said, the governments are so different and that's tied so much to this event. The Soviet Union really had an influence on the northern half of Korea with communism, and the southern half was very much influenced by the United States and its allies, because this time right now, they're really focused on communism versus democracy. Just like East and West Berlin, this is another scenario where the ideologies of these two superpowers are playing out inside these smaller countries. This is actually tied directly to what we all call the Cold War. The Cold War is going on throughout this time period, and these guys are just kind of in the middle of it all. Yeah, this was one of the first, actually not one of it, was the first big flashpoint of this conflict called the Cold War that actually got hot because there was shooting involved. Why do we care what happens in the Korean Peninsula? It's democracy versus communism. And our government had a genuine fear that if one country in the region falls to communism, that there are going to be other countries that could eventually fall right behind it. So we kind of had this unofficial policy starting in the early 1950s that we were not going to allow that to happen. We would intervene if it was apparent that communism was going to bring about the collapse of a democracy. The United States was, if anybody was willing to say that they wanted to be a democracy, we were willing to ship them whatever they wanted. But the other side was the Soviet Union was doing the same thing. So we were constantly pushing our money and our forces and our military into position 
to support people that wanted to either be like the West or, you know, to combat the spread of communism. Right, and I think something that gets lost that we don't really think about today is how big of a threat communism seemed to be to the American people in the 1950s. I mean, I don't know if we necessarily have something today as it was back then with communism. Like, the United States people did not want communism to win. Oh, it, it played out through the United States. I mean, there was probably no insult higher back then than being called a communist. And in fact, that was something that they, you didn't even joke about because it got people into some serious trouble. I even heard stories from my folks growing up where they actually had like nuclear bomb drills because they were so afraid it was going to spread to the United States and there was going to be war. And I just don't think we understand the tension that America lived under due to the fear and the threat of all of this possible spread of communism. It was those fears, some of them rational, some of them irrational. That's what eventually leads to this official thing called domino theory. But we are just not going to allow any of these nations in, in the Pacific, specifically Southeast Asia, to fall. Because if one falls, then who's to stop the others from falling? So the first domino to fall is really when North Korea invades South Korea in June 25th, 1950. And this invasion is what started what we now call the Korean War. Yeah, they attacked because... There were basically no Americans on the ground, and they figured this attack was going to be so quick and so decisive. By the time the Americans landed in Army and Marine Corps, it would be too late to help the North Korea or the South Koreans. Yeah, the United States uh, wasn't even there yet, and the South Koreans were pushed to the, almost the very end of the peninsula. They were about ready to be pushed into the sea when the United States finally makes its maneuver. I say finally, but it's only been like three months. But in that three months time, they don't even really have a good place to land their forces. So what they have to do is becomes known as the Inchon Landing. They sail around the end of the peninsula, and they don't attack the front lines. In fact, they sail around and jump in behind in an area called Inchon. This becomes known as the Inchon Landing. This creates a two-front war for a very brief amount of time, trapping the North Korean forces in between the South Koreans and the Americans, and they were pinched in allowing them to regain control of the southern half of the Korean Peninsula. So the war starts in June. North Korea has almost won it by September. We land at Incheon, and then the North Korean forces are pushed back by the combined South Korean American forces. And now by November, it's gone the other way, and we're approaching the Chinese border. Right. The swing in the Korean War during the first six months is incredible. I mean, you go from North Korea almost winning the war then you have the opposite side happening. You have the Inchon Landing, which pretty much puts the war back at its starting point. And then the South Korean forces and U.S. forces pushing the North Korean forces back to China. And both sides at one point within this first six months almost win the war. You can say there's a new swing in October of 1950 that kind of turns the war back in North Korea's favor. Yeah, the, the American military... Um Top to bottom, assumed that China was not going to dare commit forces to this conflict. We were confident of that fact, and the only orders that our troops had were basically to turn out to cross the Yalu River, which is the border between North Korea and China. But we were not at all worried that China would actually intervene and send troops into the North Koreans. And, and then reports started to come in that there were actually men in Chinese uniforms on the side of North Korea, on the wrong side of the, of the river, which meant that China was doing exactly what we thought they weren't going to do. Right, and that makes sense why China would fight alongside North Koreans. It's because, I mean, they're both communist nations. And that's something that you just can't underestimate. At this time in the world, 
we're talking about the Cold War. I mean, like, there is that huge tension between democracy and communism. It's kind of hard looking back at history to sit there and say, well, why didn't they see the fact that the Chinese were going to jump in? Nowadays, it kind of almost makes sense. Um, back then, they just assumed that that wasn't going to happen. And I don't know, that just seems like a strange position to take. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. can see it because, I mean, China just got done with their civil war as well. So they were war torn. I mean, breathing still from World War II. So I can see why, so to speak, the wool was pulled over our eyes on China entering the Korean War. There must have just been a lot of pressure for the communist nations to stick together at that time. So the, the commander of the American forces, Douglas MacArthur, who hopefully that name sounds familiar from World War II, he had the solution. He went to Truman once it was apparent that China was committing, and we're going to commit millions of troops. He went to Truman and demanded atomic bombs. He said, you give me atomic bombs, I can win this war. I can't even imagine how history would be different today if Truman had authorized the use of atomic bombs a second time. I mean, if you think about that request that MacArthur makes to Truman at that moment, like, hey, I need a bunch of bombs, nuclear bombs or atomic bombs at the time. I'm going to go in, I'm going to attack another nation, bomb them into submission, push our agenda across. I mean, this guy was like, we're going to win this, we're going to get it done right now, and I'm going to do what it takes to win, right? I mean, he was going to win. There was no other choice. But I can just see Truman going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not what we want, because he can see the dominoes kind of coming the other way. You attack China, now you got problems with the Soviet Union. If that happens, we're, we're, we're in World War III five years after World War II then. Yeah, I mean, with Soviet Union getting involved, the Cold War all of a sudden becomes very hot. And, I mean, these were real concerns of the United States. I mean, the Soviet Union, it's speculated they had 85 submarines around the Korean Peninsula during the war. So they were monitoring what was going on fairly closely. When we say, like, you know, a bunch of bombs, I mean, we're talking MacArthur wanted anywhere from 30 to 50 atomic bombs to attack parts of North Korea and China. So Truman denies MacArthur that request. And then there's a little bit of disrespect that happens between the two of them. MacArthur's not happy with Truman. Truman's not happy with MacArthur. And Truman, being the commander-in-chief of the military, relieves or fires Douglas MacArthur of his duty on April 11, 1951. Which is unheard of in the middle of a, of a conflict to do that. Especially a decorated, you know, leader such as MacArthur, who had done so much for the United States during World War II, only like seven years later to be fired for being overly aggressive, basically. And, and with China getting involved and, and, and MacArthur getting sacked, the, the line's going to move back. And so now by the winter of 1951, you essentially have the lines pretty much where they were at the very beginning, at the 38th parallel. And you're going to go into this period in the Korean War, which is kind of a stalemate period where there's not a lot of back and forth. But the major thing that happens in the next two years, this is when we just go a different route. We decide we are going to just completely obliterate North Korea's ability to produce weapons. And we are going to bomb their cities and factories pretty much into oblivion. And that's what happens for the next two years. So the Korean War basically comes to an end kind of right where it started, along the 38th parallel. At that point, it's kind of like right where right where the two lines were, there's now this new thing called the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone, kind of like this two-mile-wide border full of landmines and barbed wire and monitored on both sides. 
but it's one of the most tense areas on the planet because technically we're still at war. Like, we've demilitarized that area, but we're still standing on either side of that line, you know, 60 years later. Yeah, both sides sign an armistice. I mean, they sign an agreement to stop fighting July 27th, 1953, but the war essentially does not end, just the fighting stops. There's a difference between fighting stopping and a war ending, and this is just an agreement to stop fighting. Yeah, it, it's in the word. A treaty officially ends it. An armistice is just an agreement to stop fighting. So this war, essentially, is still a war. They're still running, uh, you know, drills, and we've still got soldiers there, we've still got forces. I mean, if you've ever been to Korea, as I have, I mean, you guys would very much know that this is still a presence of the United States. We're still there militarily. Uh, a lot of times we forget that, but it's just strange to think that we've just been in a high state of tension over there for so long. Yeah, I think at any moment people think, well, there could be a spark to get this fighting starting again, so... Yeah, it's very tense. So just as a, as a quick summary of this, of these end results, territorial gains were, were non-existent. The border was reset exactly where it was on June 25th, 1950. So no territory changed hands. An armistice ended the fighting at the time. Doesn't mean the war's ended, but it just stopped the fighting. But a major difference, a major end result here is, is how North and South have changed. Remember we talked earlier, North Korea was the industrial economic and military superpower when the war started. You go to today, and most of that is switched. The North is poor and isolated. It's the South that is now an economic superpower that is highly industrial and is a modern nation compared to the North. So that's that's taken a 180-degree turn in the, in the 50 years since, or 60 years now. Yeah, I mean, if we're just talking about numbers, too, I mean, the United States lost 40,000 troops over there, uh, but we're talking about the Korean Peninsula, suffered about 5 million casualties, which is around 10% of their population pre-war. So this was a very costly war in terms of lives for the people of Korea and for North Korea. And the big thing, too, is North Korea blames the United States for a lot of this. So we see a lot of tension or a lot of animosity between the United States and North Korea, and it all stems from the Korean War and what took place. Yeah, the North still communists, the South is still democracy. And now you kind of understand why it's a big deal where you have a situation where there's not a formal treaty to end the conflict when you have a nation like North Korea that has nuclear weapons and starts test-firing missiles that they say can hit the west coast of the United States. kind of makes sense now why that would get our attention. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think you can't underestimate the fact that if you're test-firing a missile right in the presence of that DMZ and you're and they know that the other side is just standing there waiting for them to twitch. It's just a strange level of what I guess you'd call brinksmanship just to kind of uh, push, you know, the other guy to see how far you can stretch your authority without making the other side react. And it's just this strange balance that's been going back and forth by the North and the South. A test-fired missile by North Korea is going to make the United States extremely nervous, especially when you look back at the history. That history has created so much tension on that peninsula. I'm Mr. Stewart. I'm Mr. Patane. I'm Mr. Snyder. And that's what you get for asking the question.